The blood. <laughs> <laughs> You Seriously, know, it was a murder scene. I'm not even kidding you. There was I, blood everywhere. Yeah, I, do, I don't know if they were just like super stealthy or it just wasn't a big bleeder. <sighs> I don't remember it as much with Elsie, though. Just I David. I feel like they were giving me, ended up giving me a decent amount of Pitocin at the end. So that maybe like caused things to contract and stop bleeding. Uh-huh. I don't know. So do you have t- did you have a ton of bleeding with Owen in the tub? Was like- um, I wouldn't go swimming in that water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it being like as gross as I expected it though. Mm-hmm. And I was in there. I guess I was only in there for twenty minutes because he came so fast. But I don't remember it being a complete Jaws scene or anything. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. And then, you know what's so funny is that I felt so positive and like so excited this whole pregnancy. Like, oh, this is going to be so great. This is going to be such a cool experience to do this over again. And then just this week, I was laying down to put Gam to bed and I felt this like dread. Just for a second, there have been moments of this like, oh yeah, this is really hard. (laughs) Would you, no matter how many kids you had, ever get over the fact that a watermelon comes out your crotch? Like, (laughs) I don't think I would ever get over that fear. No matter how many kids I have. Right. <laughs> Not right. a fear, but like... The intensity oh, of that. That has to happen for that baby to get out here. <laughs> but I think it's funny on round two, because you know how, like, what that relief feels like. Is that better or worse, though? Because I feel like ignorance is bliss the first time around, because you don't, I don't, I don't know. know I, the pain of labor. <laughs> Yeah, I don't and know. Then every other time you're like, oh, but I, I know think what that feels like. I was like talking to the, the doctor the other day. He was like, you know, second labors are usually shorter than first. And I was like, well, that's great because Cam was 20 plus hours. Oh, dang. Mine got longer every time. Really? Don't tell me that. <laughs> Sorry. It was only by half hour. I mean, I started at five yeah. hours and I ended at six and a half. So five hours is super fast. Very he, fast. Didn't you have pre, you had some preterm labor with? I did. I was in the hospital for five days at 33 weeks and I swear it was sweat, it was stress induced because I was working in the hospital and we had the worst employee ever and I had to take over for my supervisor that was out on maternity leave mm. and this guy could not pull his weight so I was like running around like a crazy woman seeing way too many patients and I lost my mucus plug and I was like what the hell is that thing <laughs> like I didn't know mm. and then they're like yeah you should come down because I was at the hospital they're like just come down to the labor and delivery we'll check you out and then before I knew it I was calling Ash telling him I was being admitted because apparently I was having contractions and whatever I was um three plus centimeters for six weeks David came on time. Mm-hmm. I was put on bed rest, which I didn't follow very well. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can still do bicep curls, right? <laughs> I'm like sitting on my yoga ball. This um, is bad. This is. I'm close to my bed. <laughs> Bed rest was the worst, mm-hmm. but they only made me do it till 36 weeks, and then they're like, You're fine. And I went back to work and yeah. worked up until he was born. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like hindsight has been reassuring to me this time, plus the amount that I have learned and digested right. in the last three years since he was born is just knowledge is power. Where I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm interested in, in public health before having Cam. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it, like, you know. I don't think I knew. That's a anything. huge piece of mind. Mm-hmm. And knowing the community and just, yeah, there is a peace of mind going into mm-hmm. it the second time, but mm-hmm. it's a little I bit think, scary. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's because birth is unpredictable. And no matter how well prepared you are or how much you've read or how much you know, there's still an element that we can't, you can't control. Yeah. And I think being able to also have a little bit of, like, surrender to the un- that unknown is is really super, super helpful. And um, can we just talk about how, like, at, what, 36 weeks, you're like, oh, my gosh, I only have a month left. This is going so fast. I can't believe it. And then, and then time mm. literally starts to slow down in that last week feels like months years like it's just like when is this baby coming that is definitely where i'm at right now because you're 38 37 and a bit okay so like my due date is october 11th that's what they've kind of said all along i'll say october 11th out loud but i in my head i'm like it's october 15th mainly because i feel like with cam i got really obsessed with oh this is the day um, you know, in the moments and days leading up to that day was like so there was so much anticipation. And my mom had both my sister and I like about two weeks early. Nice. Um, and so I was like, well, she had us a little early and had, you know, relatively quick labors. So that's going to be, be how I am. And, and having I think having expectations really was a hindrance mm-hmm. versus having no expectations and having no no set ideas on how things were going to go and that. I mean, even going into the hospital, the nurses were like, I don't even know if this is a thing or not. They're like, you're really tall. You're going to have this baby really fast. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, all right, cool. This is going to go quickly. And then when it doesn't, Mm -hmm. then you're like, well, what the? (laughs) So my two boys were both due on the 27th of the month, which I thought was kind of fun. And they were born on the 22nd and the 23rd. So they're both early. (laughs) And Elsie, that little, you know what, (laughs) she was the only one that was late Mm. and the only one that I was really in the hospital with. Because David, I think I was in the hospital for like an hour or two. And Owen, same thing. I was there less than a half hour before I started pushing think yeah less than an hour and he was there so Elsie I was there for like six hours and I'm like I don't even know what to do with myself this is my third baby I feel like this is my first because I have no idea like Mm, what's going on here yeah it was weird they're just different they're all different yeah so what sorts of things did you do to get physically or mentally prepared for labor. We did a 10-week birth class. It was a Brio birth class. Um, David was not planned, so that was a surprise in itself. I think I cried for a straight month before I, like, (laughs) 
I came to peace with it. Yeah, which was super helpful because they went through all the like interventions and all the techniques for pain and all the all the everything. Ten weeks is a long time. I think each class was like a couple hours long. Mm-hmm. So that was super helpful. And then I read Ida May, all the crunchy books and the things. Yeah. What about you? For Cam, I read your Brio book that you gave me. <laughs> It was just a crash course. I was like, oh, I, I don't need to do a 10-week in-person course. I can just read this book that Addie wrote some notes in. So I read that. Didn't remember a thing that I read. I remember there being something about waves, like in visualizing waves. Yep, the contractions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read like what to expect when you're expecting throughout the pregnancy, which while it has just been, you know, as a historic piece of literature, <laughs> it's, you know, it's like just straight to the point. And I'm like pretty sure that's about it. Mm-hmm. So... As a physical therapist who had some interest in postural restoration and an interest in pelvic health, but I would definitely not say that I was a pelvic health physical therapist at that point. Um, I just kind of was like, I'm fit. I'm healthy. I I can just do this. And so that was definitely my my strategy for preparing with, with CAM. What Addie and I, we had been talking about earlier was like, I think it's a really typical thing for young, healthy women who are expecting to kind of take this approach of when I go to the hospital, the nurses are going to take, like, take care of me and the doctors are going to take care of me and they're going to support me and they're going to help me reach my goals and they're going to be supportive of my birth plan of not having any medication and being upright and moving around and... That's it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. I did write out like a birth, like my birth wishes and that I didn't want to be offered medication. I wanted to be able to move around as much as possible and I wanted a Heplock. So I I like, you know, knew some of the like buzzwords, but Mm -hmm. I think definitely where my preparation was not adequate was in, well, one, I really don't think I understood how to fully relax my pelvic floor until after having cam Mm -hmm. (laughs) and was also being able to like calm my mind because like once once kind of pain got in my head I couldn't I was fighting myself yeah so people who are paralyzed can give birth right the uterus contracts the pelvic floor relaxes and a baby can come out Mm -hmm. so when you are tense or you're in pain, your pelvic floor contracts while your uterus is contracting, which is painful. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like working <laughs> against each other. So now you have like out, this. Out, in, out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, another part of my preparation for childbirth was like, yeah, I had to do my pelvic floor muscle strengthening. I've got to get those muscles strong. But without appreciating actually what is going to happen those muscles need to stretch. Baby needs to come through them. And we need a body that's in good sort of position and alignment so that the baby can come through. Eventually, how my birth with Cam went was in order for those muscles to yield, for me to let him come through my pelvis, I needed an epidural. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. am so thankful that epidurals exist. Mm-hmm. 
because how the situation was set up and, and the support that was available and the circumstances of everything that were going on was that that was the only way, I think, that that was going to happen. And so am I, like, so grateful for that? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I don't know if I... I mean, maybe things, you know, who knows? You can't say. But, like, with the support and with the systems that were in place and the staff and whoever that was in place at that moment, it wasn't happening. Yeah. (laughs) So I, like, went into... Before I took the birth class and knew anything about labor and all the things, I had two things in my mind that I decided, like, my goal was to not get an epidural. One was that my mom didn't get one. <laughs> like, yeah. she never, ever said anything about it. Like, but I was a big baby. I was 10 pounds, 3 ounces, and I tore her straight through. Grade 4 tearing. Oh, your poor mom. I know. And um, three hours labor, and I was there. And so I'm like, okay, mom had fast labors. Great. Also big babies. Damn it. <laughs> but, like, so it was that stuck in my mind. And then... I did a rotation at Tripler in Hawaii Mm -hmm. for my acute care. So I was in the hospital on the floor. And in my, I think I was there for 10 weeks, I saw three women on that postpartum floor, like, um, you know, maternity wing, who had gotten epidurals and they got botched. And I had to teach them how to use a walker to get home when they had a brand new baby Mm. and I was like how is that gonna work I'm just thinking like I do not want that to happen now Mm -hmm. that was like 10 years ago I hope (laughs) I hope things are better at Tripler but it's it's a teaching hospital and I'm sure you know there are risks to any intervention that you get in labor and I think that's another really important thing that needs to be talked about more. And really in women's healthcare and healthcare in general is that this idea of like, what is informed consent? Mm-hmm. So informed consent is not just, oh, you want this, one of these drugs, want this epidural, want me to break your water. It is, this is what this procedure is. This is the risks. This is the benefits. This is the alternatives. What would you like to do? That's informed consent. So even something like an epidural, and they say, okay, this is what it is. We're going to put this medication into your epidural space in your spine. Going to block motor and nerve sensation to your lower body. Um, So you're not going to feel pain. You're not going to feel contractions. But the risks are that it could not work. You could have get a spinal headache. Some alternatives are we could try whatever other type of medication, blah, blah, blah. How often do you think that happens? Might be on the, some of those forms that you sign. But that's, that you never read. Because right. You're just... But is that still informed consent? I mean, no. I, I mean, technically, yes, because you signed the paper. You probably should have read it. But right. when but are who, you signing those papers? Like, <laughs> in like, like you're struggling in labor. It's not, yeah. you know. So... On the topic of epidurals, Mm -hmm. I think there's a balance there. I have a a friend who you know. I'm not going to say her name because I know she'll listen to this podcast and she knows who she is. Um, But she was very much in the mindset of like, I am going to do a natural birth. I'm going to do everything I can. She did the doula. She did the classes. She did the 
reading. She did all of, she checked every single box. They were ready, right? And it did not happen that way. She labored over 20 hours to the point of like just pure exhaustion. Like she could, her body was just like giving up. And she was like, fine, I'll get an epidural. And for myself too, like this took like a decent amount of processing. Mm -hmm. Postpartum was like, it felt like a failure to have gotten an epidural. But I think it, a big component of that is how it's all framed. Mm-hmm. So one, yes, what you have set up in your mind beforehand, but also in the moment saying like, this is just a tool that we have to help support you continue to birth um, in a supported way. Right. So yeah, I absolutely felt it was a ha-ha told you you couldn't do it moment when I was in labor and yeah. that like you don't need that it just that. makes me sad because that, that sucks yeah because it's like you go in you've got your your birth plan and you're like nope don't offer me don't offer me drugs I don't want mm-hmm. I want an epidural I want to do this all natural and it was just sort of like a yeah okay we'll see and so then when you get to that point where yeah nobody wants to admit that they like can't do something that they really wanted to be able to do. Um, And so it's a missed opportunity to be a compassionate caregiver Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say, you've done so amazing. You know, that's just use this as a tool. You know, I don't know. There's two different ways to to approach that. And one is defeating someone and breaking somebody. And the other one is supporting someone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And To just acknowledge that there are things that you can't control. You can't control if the baby gets stuck. Mm -hmm. You can't control if the heart rate's all over the place or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think if you've had a birth where you feel that it didn't go as planned or it was traumatic or whatever, that it's so important to seek help after that before you have another baby because those Mm -hmm. things stick with you. Oh, heck yeah. Like mentally and and physically and they just... You know, processing that. A quote that I don't know where I read it or saw it, maybe some sort of birth trauma association. How do you define a traumatic birth? And the answer is ask the mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I like that a lot. So you can have the exact birth you want. You could have a unmedicated, fast vaginal birth um, at the hospital. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's safe. No tearing. Nope. No hemorrhaging. Everything is absolutely perfect. That doesn't mean that it's not a traumatic birth, right? So how does that, in that mom, how does that birthing person interpret that experience? Mm-hmm. Do they interpret it as being a whirlwind and going too fast and not having time to process what is going on and being extremely painful, feeling alone or feeling unsupported? That can still be a traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. You could have had all sorts of cascade of interventions, difficult labor, issues with the baby, progress into an emergency C-section. And that person can also interpret their experience, which maybe to some would seem traumatic, as very supported and very like a really great experience. And so... Ask the mom, how do you feel about that experience? What sort of feelings does that bring up? When you think about that, what what do you feel? And honoring whatever that is and Mm -hmm. then supporting that mom and whatever support she needs to process it or 
integrate that experience. Right. Yeah. And there, we're talking with a lot of assumptions right now. Like our wishes were to try to do it naturally and whatever. But that's yeah. not always the case. I've heard plenty of moms who are like, give oh. me the epidural as soon as you can. Yeah. And that's awesome. Great. Yeah. Like if that's what you want, that's perfect. Yeah. Or moms who opt for a C-section because of X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter why yeah. they want a C-section. That's what they want. And I think... The overlying, you know, message is to advocate for yourself and know your options, know the pros and cons of your options and pick what's best for you and your family and your situation Mm -hmm. because there's never a perfect one-size-fits-all answer for anybody. Yeah. I mean, I think there's – I know uh, one particular uh, patient that comes to mind is she – they didn't have any family in town. Her son was in daycare. Her husband had to work the next week, <laughs> had to like work the full week and was like, you know what? I want to get induced today, this morning, so that my kid pe- can be in school. I'm going to give birth to the baby while he's in school. <laughs> my there husband can pick him up from school and we'll have the baby and then we can go home. So she went in, got her, got induced. Not long after, got an epidural. Just the whole thing went to plan, very chill. And that was the dream birth experience for that that mm-hmm. person. And mm-hmm. it's like, cool. Great. <laughs> like, that's you. amazing. And so, again, we don't always get what we want. But who's to say what is the ideal experience? And mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things that I've done this pregnancy that I didn't do at all with Cam was listen to birth stories and read birth stories. And I'd say the vast majority of the birth stories that I've been digesting have been positive, unmedicated vaginal birth stories because that's what I'm hoping for and planning for with with some others mixed in. But I think that has been a really cool process to like hear different stories and see what in my mind would be the ideal like do do we even know what we i know what the ideal would be what to have an orgasm when you're oh yeah yeah so i like love the birth hour podcast have you i haven't but i want to now so it might give me baby fever though i mean not like ashes snip so i'm done anyway but So there was a birth recently on there where she had read Orgasmic Birth. There's like a whole thing on that. Damn it. That was the one book I didn't read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I could have had my and perfect she birth. Des- like she describes the like crowning and, and like, um, you know, baby emerging process. She's like, I wouldn't say it was an orgasm, but it was very highly pleasurable. And I was just like... <laughs> cool i am jealous just pure jealousy because she was like it was yeah like not describing this pain Ring of I fire think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how would an experience like that happen without like intense some intense preparation mental preparation On, like, i would imagine i think it's a lot of like reframing what is pain yeah and like reframing the language you use around birth and really Something I've read recently is like humans are the only animals that doubt their ability to birth. Ooh, I like that too. And yeah, we don't need to doubt ourselves. Like our bodies can do this. 
And there's no need to doubt ourselves because we have medical systems in place to catch the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's kind of been another thing that's been in my mind. Owen was the closest one to an orgasm. I would not call that pleasurable in any way. (laughs) But the water birth made a huge difference Mm -hmm. with pain. Huge difference. And then just warm. You know, it's warm. You're in water. It's just kind of like... So so the um, hospital that I'm delivering at has some tubs. And I guess they've been not using them because of COVID. And so I was asking the doctor at my last appointment was like, what's the deal with the the tubs? Because I, you know, that would be cool. And he's like, oh, I don't know. They've been, they've had like some red tape on them during COVID. And he's like, but I don't know why we couldn't. Okay, so I can take the tape off of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and like that particular provider, I liked because he's just very like chill. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Will they let you birth in the tub? I think technically, no. They'll tell you not to. Yeah. The rumors that I've heard, some of the midwives have been like, well, the baby's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when I gave birth to Owen, I was in a very small rural hospital. Mm -hmm. And there was like four labor and delivery Mm -hmm. rooms. Like it was tiny. And the midwife I had, she was like in her 50s. She ran that shit you know obviously there was an ob on call if something went wrong but like with my first i couldn't birth in the tub Mm -hmm. it was fun to have Mm -hmm. like that freedom of yeah we can do whatever we want Mm -hmm. yes you don't get that everywhere yeah i think a really big topic is this idea of like being able to advocate for yourself being able to speak up for yourself or having support people that can help you with that, whether that's your a doula mm-hmm. or your partner um, or whoever else you kind of choose to be with you. I like, had a doula with my first. She was awesome because she was a massage therapist. I remember she. we went for a walk when she got there, when my contractions started. And because um, I had a an appointment that day with the midwife and it was in the morning. It was like 11 o'clock and the midwife is like, I don't know how you're still here. Cause this is after I've been like dilated for six weeks after mm-hmm. like preterm labor. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm on call tonight. This baby's going to come tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I like leave and she's like, you need to go home and just rest because I just have a feeling. And I totally went back to work because I'm like, if this is my last day of work, I want to, like, be here. But anyway, the doula, she actually broke my water with the ankle point. Mm. So I was, like, just chilling on the couch. And she's, like, rubbing my feet. And she's like, you want me to try the point? I'm like, yeah, whatever. I didn't think it would work. Oh, it totally worked. Literally, she pushed on it, and I felt like a bubble pop in my abdomen. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, I just... And then I'm like, I think I need to go to the bathroom. And I, like, stood up, and it was just Hollywood gush all over the place. And I'm like, wow. And then contractions just, they just started rolling, and it was game time. It was crazy. So in Canada, physios or physical therapists can do acupuncture. And so before moving down here, I took a course, like an intro acupuncture course, And we learned all of those points, like all the labor points. And it wasn't dry needling. It was like liver, six, like spleen, whatever. So the the meridian lines that are used in traditional Chinese medicine, 
for pain management using that strategy. Whereas in the U.S., physical therapists aren't allowed to adopt that methodology. And since moving down here, I've taken dry needling certifications. And so I have acupuncture needles (laughs) at my house. I could totally needle myself (laughs) using some of those points that I'd previously learned as a Canadian practitioner. Yeah. Um, But I'm like nervous. (laughs) So you know what? Maybe this time I'll when you hit that 40 weeks, you're going to be like, stop anything like, to get this give baby me that out. Ankle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, you have a doula this time. I do, yes. I have an awesome doula. Her name is Bridget. She's just like super relaxed when you're trying to pick a doula or pick someone that you want to be on like your support team. That level of energy, mm-hmm. I felt like. Low I mean, frequency. Yeah, just calm and steady. I'm really excited for that because I think, yeah, based on all the things that I've learned and done over the last couple of years, like I know how to, the movements, I know the, how to breathe. I know how to relax my pelvic floor. I'm, but I think that component of, all right, let's bring that nervous system down. I think that's going to be super important or that that's going to be really helpful for my husband Right. Yeah, just to have a is like a support for him because too. because ultimately, yeah, because of COVID and the hospital that I'm delivering at, she won't be able to come to the hospital, so she'll just kind of come to the house and support while I'm laboring at home. She's going to be able to help him feel really confident in supporting me, mm-hmm. and so I think that's going to be really helpful. Also, not that he's unprepared or like hasn't been kind of following along with some of the things that I've been learning this pregnancy, but it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different for for him and at no fault of his, not super into <laughs> birth. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay with that not being a passion of his, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And it's okay that that's something that I'm passionate about. It's totally fine. Yeah. But I think that's where, yeah, the duel is going to be cool. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I cannot speak about highly enough is that I'm using the Gentle Birth app, which is like a hypnobirthing, so Tracy Donegan method. The app is a combination of mindfulness and meditation and hypnosis and breathing tracks, affirmations. It's set, it's kind of set up where like every day there's probably four or five different types of thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And I don't do all of them every day, but just like the repetitive practice of mindfulness, the p- repetitive practice of progressive relaxation, of hypnosis, and all of those things have been so valuable, even just like mentally throughout pregnancy, just handling life, yeah. <laughs> never mind, even dealing with my toddler, right? Being able to like collect myself and be present in the moment, that in itself has been invaluable. And so part of me is like, well, after I have this baby, I don't want to get rid of this app. <laughs> like, I want to keep it. Yeah. Um, because it's just, I've I've been falling asleep pretty much every night listening to different relaxation tr- things. And so um, that's been like a really big component of kind of the preparation yeah so I, and then yeah just movement and exercise which has been n- nothing like I was anticipating this pregnancy mm-hmm. um 
I was like in a really good routine at the gym, <laughs> was like really on it. And then really in first trimester, one didn't feel fantastic. Oh, it was horrible. And then from that, what, then it was like full COVID mode. Yeah, you haven't had a... So the gym yeah, good... was closed. And so I was was home. And then the gym opened back up and I just felt uncomfortable being there. Yeah. So really all the workouts and movements I've been doing have just been like at home with whatever I have. You know, we have like a little gym, but yeah. And it, or it was super hot in the summer. So working out in the garage in crazy North Carolina that's, weather. That's not good. During so, it was, pregnancy. Yeah, so it was really not the level of intensity of exercise I maybe would have chosen, but using just movement with the meditation, with the breathing, with the whatever has been cool. Movement with um, my second Owen was huge because I remember that was when my pubic pain started with Owen, mm-hmm. which makes sense given he was 10 pounds, 11 pounds. ounces. <laughs> um, but I remember doing a lot of yoga, like hip flexor stretching. That helps so much. Mm-hmm. And that movement is so important. I'm actually in the pregnancy section of Stacy Sims' book, Roar, mm-hmm. where she talks about exercise during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And how 30 to 45 minutes, most days of the week, you can get the positive um, results of exercise as far as like decreased gestational diabetes risk. And actually, it decreases your baby's or it increases the baby's resistance to cardiovascular disease Mm. like later in life. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. And then mood and range of motion and Mm -hmm. muscle strength and endurance for labor all yeah. the good things oh, about yeah. working out when you're mm-hmm. pregnant. For a while, mid-century, oh, yeah, 60s, like, 70s, take it easy. they were like, don't exert yourself. Don't get that heart rate over 140. Don't do more than 15 minutes of activity. And we know now that that's silly. Yeah. And literally not possible if you already have other kids mm-hmm. that you're taking care of when you're pregnant. So, Yeah. Their, yeah, period of time of, like, do nothing. Then women kind of got more and more into exercise and then that evolved into more intense more and more intense level of exercise and now I feel like there's also this push of oh I don't have to stop doing anything right I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm going to do and then that can cause problems. Not that it's inherently bad or wrong to exercise with at a high level of intensity throughout pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just being respectful of your body or using a coach who specializes in pregnancy or using a physical therapist to help kind of guide that. There was a really big collaboration of PTs. I think it came out of Canada a couple years ago where they had like a big committee panel type thing in there. They asked a bunch of questions mm-hmm. like, "What what's your professional opinion on this and this and this? Okay. And they came out with, you know, the first trimester is basically like just kind of respecting the fatigue. And, you know, there's not a, a lot of like real changes as far as what you should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But once you get in that second trimester, the big thing was just limiting or being mindful of concentric flexion. So sit-ups and anything that's putting a lot of demand on the shortening of the ab muscles and the pressure on the pelvic floor. And then, you know, there was that was the big thing in the second trimester that I remember. Um, But then just thinking 
is this exercise serving me where I'm at? Like, do I need to be doing kipping pull-ups at 30 weeks pregnant? Do I need to be doing jump squats when I'm 38 weeks pregnant? Mm -hmm. Do I need to be putting that amount of force and impact on my pelvic floor? Mm -hmm. Am I maybe over challenging it but how do we know how would you how would how do you know if that's causing problems right if if someone's completely asymptomatic they're not coning they're asymptomatic in their body they're asymptomatic in their pelvic floor they're not leaking they're not is is it bad i would say it it depends on the person Mm -hmm. risk versus reward Mm -hmm. is it worth the risk of causing a problem to be able to do that right now? Or can you achieve the same goal fitness-wise or, you know, getting your endorphins going, sweat on, whatever, by doing something else? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. So it just comes down to, like, what's it worth? Is it worth the risk? Fine. Like, if you're a professional athlete mm-hmm. and you need to be training, then maybe it's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that it's in those end of one cases, it's impossible to know. Right. If they had done th- anything differently, it's Im- yeah. it's impossible to know if you had done anything differently. Would how would that have re- recovery had? Because it could have happened anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like genetics, yeah. tissue elasticity, mm-hmm. second you know, pregnancy diet. versus first pregnancy. Yeah. You know all of those all of those things. And but I would definitely say like my abdominal wall, despite feeling like I had rehabilitated it well. Mm-hmm. postpartum with my son, I know for sure that this this time around, and that has nothing to do with the intensity of the exercise I was doing, that separation of abdominal wall is probably going to be more sub- significant this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a, a elastic band on the underwear that's already been stretched once before. Right. And so, yep. so I think even how I've adjusted this time, granted there was other circumstances at play is different and it's it's okay mm-hmm. it's okay it's just it's just going to adjust how you know i approach the rehabilitation on the other on the other side of it right mm-hmm. or expect yeah. or expectations or you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah and i don't ever i never noticed diastasis I mean, there there was that small study. I think they did it in 2016. It was a small study, the one that said, like, everyone has diastasis mm-hmm. at birth, which very well could have been. I just never noticed it. I never had pain. I didn't, I didn't notice did it with get, my like, workouts. Did you get, like, a belly button popping out? Never got a belly button popping out. But I also, like, never got stretch marks. So I think it's more genetic. My genes are just, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how... They go. I like had an itchy belly and I itched it. And I, at first I was like, oh, it's just red mark from me itching my belly. And then I <laughs> looked closer and realized that I had have a stretch mark starting like on the bottom part of my stomach. And literally, so dramatically, Bobby was in the bathroom <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> and like grabbed the counter like, Bobby. <laughs> Because I didn't, I didn't get any stretch marks with the cam, and I was like, "It's what? <laughs> How can this be?" Like, oh, pretending to like faint, and and I think had that happened first time around, I would have been legitimately feeling like that, <laughs> very dramatic, like very upset about the whole thing. And this time, I'm like, "Well, all right, yeah, <laughs> means they're getting bigger," and. 
maybe it'll stick around. Maybe it'll go away. I don't know. And I can't control it. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's funny, though, because I got... <laughs> this is kind of deviating. I had stretch marks on my boobs in high school and college. Yeah. Like, very significantly. So why I didn't get them with pregnancy. pregnancy three times, I have no idea. You know? So I, <laughs> with Cam, I did put, like, stuff on my, like, belly stuff on my stomach. And the whole time I was like, this isn't doing anything. I, I don't need to do this. So I really haven't used it with this pregnancy. And also with Cam, at the end of my pregnancy, I got really bad um, pup. So mm-hmm. my stomach was just, like, it's so itchy. And my whole body was so itchy. And so I was, like, also I've been, like, a little paranoid about, like, putting stuff on my belly thinking, like, oh, well, that, again, that's totally a hormonal thing and putting something on your skin isn't going to cause it. I haven't put anything on there, but then I felt itchy, so I was like, oh, crap, is this coming back again? But, no, it was just just a stretch mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I know my, my, like, belly button did not change much when I was pregnant with Cam, but I, I can see, like, it looks a little different this time. And that's okay. Like, I'm yeah. okay with that. I'm okay with being in a bigger body. Mm-hmm. And it's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The female body does incredible things. And as hard as it is to swallow, like, some of those changes, because it's just, like, kind of a slap in the face. And I think it's not the same thing as, like, letting yourself go. Oh, absolutely you know? not. No. And, like, have I eaten as healthily? Have I exercised as much? Have I done everything right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I've driven through Arby's is right by my work. <laughs> like <laughs> convenient to tell to to say that I have not driven through that Arby's a good number of times since pregnancy would be a complete lie. Getting curly fries like <laughs> McDonald's shakes and lemonade were like yeah. so, <laughs> my hooks. Again, like one of the affirmations, like accept any path of the this birthing takes it's sort of like I accept any path that this sort of whole pregnancy is is gonna take and yeah all three of my pregnancies I gained 40 to 45 pounds and it was it was weird how that was the same every time even though I did very different like with David the first one I was I was running up until like 28 weeks like I was working out a lot more eating probably a lot healthier and then when I got to Elsie I mean Come on. I was, like, (laughs) barely making it. Like, I was just eating whatever was in front of me, doing whatever I wanted. On all three pregnancies, when when the scale tipped to 200, I went into labor. It was so Mm, weird. Just like how your body just kind of follows some patterns like that. But then on the flip side, everything was different. On the recovery side. You never know if it's going to, like be the same or different Mm -hmm. so it's a journey it's a crazy winding confusing sometimes frustrating beautiful messy messy so messy the blood like I can't get over the blood it was so much blood and you know what I'm legitimately pissed that nobody told me that you bleed for weeks oh after You have a baby. I did not know that. Yeah, why is that never talked about? I don't know, but it's not just like a couple days. It, a couple I mean, weeks. I almost bled almost a full month every single time. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, so I had a... Um, in, again, I don't know if there's like evidence to support this, but one of my patients had 
very, very aggressive fundal massage. So they like massaged her uterus like very aggressively in the hospital. That was the worst. <laughs> they never even touched my uterus with Cam after he was born. Really? No. Did they check it? I mean, they might have touched it, but they weren't, like, massaging it. No They way. weren't checking, like, if it was contracting down to, like... I mean, touching my abdomen, but not... Definitely not pushing on my... Oh. Yeah. I wanted to kick every single nurse that touched my stomach. <laughs> so, what she was saying was that because they were so aggressive with it, she would bleed pretty significantly when they would do it, that she really didn't bleed that much oh, Not true with me. And, um... But what I have also heard and read is that also how much activity you're doing. Yeah. Like, I don't know you with you, but like. And relax and recover. When I would go on walks or right. like be left with the kids alone on days that I was doing more, I definitely bled more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So using that as like a, a benchmark. But the whole like theory of you need to stay in bed for 10 days or something and then you can be around the bed for 10 days. How do you do that when you have other children even if you have if even if it's your first child i guess you can coordinate support but particularly covid moms oh i feel so bad for covid moms like Like, i just on so many levels i feel like people who had babies like this spring and and summer how they did that with like not really wanting people to even drop off food, not wanting people to see the baby or hold a baby or like, yeah, that family not traveling in from no, like other states, no especially military like life support groups. Or well, you didn't even know if your mom would be able to come. Yeah, like a yeah. month ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So but... I think in terms of like thinking about preparation, okay, then what do you do differently in your preparation to account for the fact that it's just going to be you and your kids and your partner who may or may not be going back to work? Yeah. So like this weekend, I'm going to probably do some some freezer stuff put in the freezer and or like the military well i say military there's moms that aren't military that are alone too but covid and then having like a deployed spouse Mm. can you imagine so isolating because like like, so isolated ash wasn't around for elsie and that was really tough to come to terms with even though i had a doula for elsie and i had a really good friend with me the whole labor Mm. it was weird it was weird not having your husband there. Yeah. So any of you are going through that, Godspeed. Yeah. You got Ops. this. Favorite resources, real quick. What are your? <gasps> um the the perineum spray. It's like Earth uh, Baby Earth Mama. Mama Organics. Yes. Okay, I have that. It smells good. Made by Shells. Yes. Oh, she's her, local her and she's amazing. Spray. I've got her peri spray. I've got her sits baths. Yeah. Herbal sits baths. I've if got you... her perineal balm and her nipple balm awesome do you have a tens unit i do so with elsie i swear my postpartum cramping was worse than labor it was horrible so i just put the tens on afterwards like i took the hydrocodone after labor it was so bad like Mm. unmedicated birth postpartum (laughs) cramping sucked um so that was a lifesaver if you have a TENS unit mm, for your that's back. Good to know. I've got a heating pad. Yep. Got my TENS unit. I've got some of my essential oils with, to diffuse. I've got, what else have I got? My crystals. <laughs> that's I've got good energy. I love it. My affirmation cards. Like, do you have high-waisted underwear? That was mm-hmm. huge for me mm-hmm. to I got, feel supported. I've got postpartum underwear. I've got... 
underbelly underwear. Good camis. Mm-hmm. Nursing camis. I've got a really comfy pair of pajamas. And I grippy myself... socks or I slippers. Don't grippy socks. I should get myself some grippy I have socks. some new ones. You can have them. Pack of four. Nice. I give one to you. Sweet. They're amazing. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I've got kind of prep-wise. My doula, Bridget, gave me um, like a spare rebozo. Mm. So she showed me a couple ways that how Bobby can like wrap my belly or like wrap my hips um, even if I'm like even just for comfort. So that's been kind of cool. So that could be in labor or not. Um, a rebozo is just like a big sheet, essentially, like Scarf-like a like thing, scarfy thing that you that is you can't... like Mexican I'm not sure or where South it comes American from. origin, and it's for like supporting belly or supporting mom's body in in labor in lots of different ways. And then you can mm-hmm. also use it to like wrap bellies. Mm. postpartum oh i've got oh my gosh so i got um my pregnancy pillow paid for yeah from tricare so did you get the total u it has like a zipper so it's a total u but you can zip off one of the arms Ooh, ooh, that's fancy that's Mm -hmm. fancier than they had when Um, i needed one i never got a pregnancy pillow with my whole pregnancy with cam how did you survive i was like not uncomfortable until like the last week oh and then i was like oh i don't want to buy a pillow for one week and then i didn't know i didn't realize at that point that tricare would cover it so then this time same thing i was like i'm comfortable i'm sleeping good i feel really good but i was like well this is research Kind of, I'm curious how this process works. The first night I slept with it, I told Bobby, I was like, this thing's never leaving my bed. I'm really sad I got rid of mine. <laughs> like, legit, I would still sleep with it. And it was amazing. Like, I, I'm obsessed. Yeah, so good. I'm so mad that I waited this long to get one. So here's a PT tip for all of you suffering SI pain. So like low back pain or pubic symphysis pain in the front of the pelvis. If you won... Stack pillows from your knees to your ankles, mm-hmm. and the more you stack, the more like pressure you'll take off of your pubic joint. So if you have really bad, you might need two if you're really sensitive, and pair that with wedging a pillow behind you mm-hmm. so your back relaxes. So that total U pillow is great mm-hmm. because it goes behind you and between your mm-hmm. legs, and then mm-hmm. you can just put an extra one between your legs if you need it. Um, but that pubic pain sucked my second and third pregnancy. So mm-hmm. that was a lifesaver to have that total U pillow. So when you go to flip in your total U, would you release the between the knees and then go to the other side and then yeah. put it back in? Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't like try to fling the whole thing. Right? No. Okay. <laughs> You'd be like wrapped in it. So I got a kabuti. I don't know what that is. So a kabuti is a coccyx cushion. Oh. That Sweet. has like a hole that you can either take out so then your tailbone and like your perineum can sit in the hole Mm -hmm. or it has like this cup that has like an ice pack Mm. so you could have ice on your perineum but i'm thinking i'm gonna take that guy in the car on the way to the hospital because a lot of people when i kind of like put it out on instagram about the car a lot of people were like yeah sitting was horrible it sucks so have like a some like a coccyx pillow or a donut pillow, and so um, so yeah. So I've got this kabuti. It's called I don't know. We'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Um, and that's covered um, by Tricare. Also, I don't know about other insurance companies, but worth checking. Mm-hmm. 
And then I've got my Mama Strut, um, which is a postpartum support. And then I also was able to get um, like a pregnancy belt, which I haven't really needed, but it was more of like, I just want to see how this ordering process goes and how easy it is. So I'll probably do some sort of Instagram post on on that coming up. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you can also get compression like wear covered, um, which I should have done because I, literally yesterday and today my ankle started swelling. I have socks. Mm-hmm. I'll give you two pairs of socks. Grippy socks. You can wear the grippy socks on the compression socks because yeah. they're very slippery. <laughs> yeah. Yes, lots of things to do to prepare. Mm-hmm. I think whatever level of preparation feels right to you is the right amount of preparation. I think knowing that you don't have to be uncomfortable in pregnancy, even at the end of pregnancy, is... Find is, a PT. There's yeah. so much that you can do during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And just to prepare, like, position-wise, getting the pelvis to move and in a yeah. good position and the ribs to move. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, even though I was doing PRI as a physical therapist with my first pregnancy, because it was a first pregnancy, was still, like, apprehensive of, like, how aggressive to be with moving my own body and like twisting or rotating or bending mm-hmm. and have felt so much more comfortable this pregnancy and the only time I had pain when I had to dry needle my <laughs> pelvic floor mm-hmm. was when we laid 7,000 square feet of sod in my backyard which would was... give anyone pain <laughs> especially pregnant <laughs> so so like have felt so much better and I hope it doesn't necessarily mean but I hope that that will also mean good things for labor and birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my gentle birth app, which I love, the mindful pregnancy book, which is by Tracy Donegan. Also, it's sort of hypnobirthing meditation mindfulness. Um, also some natural remedies in there. Talks about some yoga movements and things like that. Um, Ina Gaskins Guide to Childbirth. I read this pregnancy as well as The Birth Partner, which was recommended by my doula, which I think is sort of doula-recommended reading when they kind of take a lot of doula courses. Um, and so Bobby and I have been kind of flipping through some of the more hands-on support strategies that partners can do. We kind of have practiced a few of those things. And what's kind of cool about that book is it does go through like every intervention and why it may happen and what it's for and you know, situations where it's needed, situations maybe it's not needed. And um, that's really good. Evidence-based birth, amazing resource. Rebecca Decker um, has her own podcast, Evidence-Based Birth EBB podcast. Basically, she's a PhD researcher who writes sort of summaries that are easy to digest and easy to read about all of the hot, all hot topics sort of related to birth and the summaries are just summaries of the best evidence, right? So summaries of the research, really looking at like what what does the research say on things like pushing positions? What does the research say on uh, due dates? So anything that you have a kind of a question about or are questioning a policy that exists in your facility is a really good way to feel empowered with information and evidence um, to back up something that you're you're hoping for. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of my big my big ones. Find yourself a PT. Mm-hmm. 
massage therapist mm-hmm. if that's needed, doula, mental health counselor. Mm-hmm. What other resources would you want on board? Um, I think being assertive, which we something we didn't talk about, was being assertive was like selecting your providers. Yeah. And not feeling intimidated by your healthcare provider, whether that's a midwife or a doula or who or not doula, midwife or a OBGYN, because you want to trust and you want to feel confident with the members of the t- your birth team. Yeah, you have to jive. And so if something that is really important to you in that birth journey is something that they don't align with you on, then they they're not the right provider and that's okay. I'm very rarely offended if a patient and me don't click and they mm-hmm. decide to go see another therapist. It's okay yeah. because I don't want to like be not every person you know, is a good fit for every person. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes in general mm-hmm. medical providers. You have to be able to jive. That's huge in mm-hmm. the any therapeutic journey. Yeah. So being being okay with that and knowing like what you're entitled to and you're entitled to feel supported and you're entitled to feel respected by your healthcare providers at all times. So by the time this podcast hopefully comes out, we it will be a month since we released our first one, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. if my timing's up. Right. Cool. I think we're almost at a thousand downloads or Ooh, listens. Yeah. And I believe we promised a squatty potty do Last we, episode. Well, do we have for are, comments? Do we uh, we need more comments then? We need more comments. Let me see. Shares, stars, comments. That's how we spread the love. All the so algorithms in the a free squatty interwebs. Potty, then you need to review. And we super appreciate all of you that have shared the podcast and have been rating it. It's awesome. So fun to see. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, we're on this having, fun venture. Yeah, I think for just being kind of fun and us just kind of talking chit chatty, chit chat. That I hope that people are are learning something and gaining something and feeling like they're part of our our gang, our bushy people. <laughs> All right, we will. See you next time. Happy birthing. Yeah. Maybe I'll have a baby next time. Ooh, then we have to go into like birth stories. Yeah. Which will be really fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. Signing off. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. (laughs) So Ash, Ash is like, I listened to your podcast. This is the last one, the third one. And he's like, you both did really good going back and forth, explaining, like chiming in, explaining things. But I still don't know what Reiki is. (laughs) So... We were like look pulling it up on Wikipedia. Reiki is a form 
of energy healing and where a practitioner sort of lays their hands on you and channels various forms of energy. It is not traditional medicine. Especially Western medicine. It is it's an alternative form of treatment. It is not a substitute for diagnosis or treatment for any any specific medical condition, but it's just a supportive, adjunctive thing that a lot of people can gain a lot of benefit out of, and I personally have had really great experiences with. So, Is it always done by a massage therapist? No. no oh, okay. No, no. Like I thought it was a form of massage. Mm-mm. No. No, no. Okay. Um, I think it's just people who have taken education courses or whatever in in this type of energy work okay Mm -hmm. cool reiki practitioners that i've ever worked with have just been kind of the type of people that are very intuitive very empathetic and really good good energy energy (laughs) that's again not something that you can quantify but there's something In my mind, in my experience, that's really therapeutic about being around people like that. And so if that's something that sounds appealing, then go for it. If that's like your cray-cray that makes no sense and that has no evidence to back it up, then okay, that's fine. You don't have to do that. Yeah. (laughs) 